Hi there, everybody. Welcome to episode 98 of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. We are almost to 100, and what that means is I am hard at work. This is great, actually, after the X-Alps to be able to relax and just write and work on this book. This kind of a tools of titans about the mayhem. We're going to put all the best of the best together in a book that Cross Country is publishing, working closely with Ed and Hugh on that. It's very exciting. We hope to have that kind of in draft format and ready to go by this fall and published early in the year. So stay tuned for that. Certainly this conversation that you're about to hear is going to have a lot in it. This is an awesome conversation. Before we get to the talk with Alex Roby, a couple things of housekeeping. Uh, we had a pretty tragic accident uh, that ended uh, as bad as it could, really, at the Horseshoe Bend Flight Park a couple weeks ago. I don't know all the details. Not going to get into that here, but a few of the people that were on scene at that accident have asked me to just remind you, the community, that medical training, uh, specifically wilderness first response training, is really key to what we do. Uh, it's a nine-day course. It's expensive, and there's only a few of them a year, so you know it's something you really have to invest in but I can speak from experience. It is absolutely awesome. And I mean, it's great to have CPR and first aid, but really what we do is, is remote and access often to first response care is hours and hours away. If I mean, possibly days, if you're flying cross country in places like beer uh, and all over the world for that matter. Um, so this is something that we need to really take on as a community. Uh, we've talked about it quite a bit on the show. There's actually a whole show on it with the Matt Wilkes podcast, a good friend of mine who's an ER doc up in Scotland and now an instructor in Verbier. Uh, he's got some great thoughts on what happens uh, and how you should respond to various kinds of trauma. Often trauma, obviously, with, with free flight is spinal. So we need to know how to stabilize. We need to know how to medicate. We need to know how to comfort our victims. Uh, we, and we need to know how to get them out. And I have often talked about the importance of having uh, a Garmin inReach device or at least a spot, but a way to communicate with the outside world when you don't have cell service. So that's step one. Step two is, for, is certainly wilderness first response training. So this is a, a great reminder uh, that out of tragedy comes good things. And so the good thing here is that it is a reminder to go out and get this training and uh, help our community be safer. That's often what this podcast is all about. Okay, Alex Roby, if you are like me and an ex-contest junkie, you probably check it out, especially on days where you can't fly. And on the big days, the hammer talk days in Europe, you're going to see one name over and over and over again, often right at the very top. And that's Alex Roby. That's my guest today. I've been wanting to talk to him for years and I actually got the opportunity to fly with him about a week ago at Antholtz on a big day. Uh, it was terrific to see him and his buddies in action. Uh, more of them will be on future shows as well, including Primo Sousa from Slovenia, who is another guy you often see at the very top there. And we talk about a lot of amazing, just great stuff in this in this show. Uh, Alex is very good about sharing his thoughts. He writes a blog about every flight he takes. Uh, he takes pictures and videos and kind of stills it all down into uh, great learning opportunities. He gives talks quite frequently. Um, he's also a guy that's very restricted with his time. Uh, he has family and uh, job commitments that keep him out of the sky. So 
His approach to risk is basically to only fly the really, really, really good days. So uh, this is crazy, but he's, I think his worst flight of his five best this year is like a 260 something FAI. He's got a couple of 290 something FAIs. FAIs in a given year, he'll fly 10, 15 flights a year. Uh, he won X contest in 2015. He won it again in 2017. Uh, he insists he's very much a recreational pilot still. He doesn't do very good wingovers and stuff, but this is a guy that clearly knows how to crush and he really knows how to stay in the sky for 10 or more hours on these, on these big days that he picks. So uh, we talk about what aspects have to come together for that kind of success. He puts his weather knowledge right at the top of that and being able to pick out these good days. And so we talk about all the resources he used. These are all in the show notes. Definitely want you guys to check that out. Doesn't matter if you're just flying in Austria where he is or anywhere in the world, it'll all be totally relevant. Uh, he has a great approach to risk. So we talk about risk management. We talk about the number one mistake that he sees that leads to accidents. This, this was a new one. I hadn't heard this one before. I think it's terrific. Talk a lot about how to fly fast. Obviously, you got to fly fast to go uh, to cover a huge amount of distance. And we talk about the importance of analyzing your flight post-flight. He does a lot of analyst analysis after his flights by looking at the track logs and creating Avery files with the various different pilots that are in the air. Talks about the importance of bringing together a really good group. So you've got other great people to fly with in the sky. So being uh, very public about, hey, I think this is going to be the place to go. Please come join me. Anyway, we talk about a lot. It's all super valuable. Get out your pen and paper. Uh, prepare to see a bunch of this in the book. So without further delay, please enjoy this great talk by an incredible pilot and uh, just great all-around dude. I really enjoyed this one. Alex Roby. Alex, it is uh, terrific to have you on the show. We just had a great little talk in the in the pre-talk there before we started recording. I'll bring some of that back in. Uh, fantastic to fly with you at a place that Bruce Marks, I uh, will miss him, you know, my, my supporter in the first couple races, and he was my flying pal for years and years and years. Anthols was always on our list. It never really worked out. Every time we came into your zone, it was it would always OD or rain or something would something would blow up in the Dolomite. So finally got to have a shot at it. Uh, it didn't work out for me personally at the end, actually digging into there to the Dolomites, but it did for you guys. And that was, that was a fun day. So thanks for sharing uh, that beautiful triangle with me. Let's, let's start it off there. Hey, you're more than welcome, Gavin. Uh, I'm really glad to have you on the show. I'm a big admirer of the whole cloud-based mayhem and all the outputs and inputs I get from there. So really happy to be here. Oh, awesome. Hey, I, I, you know, before we get into how you just crush con X contest and your job and some of the things we were just talking about there before we started, I'd love for you to just tell the audience your, you know, when you dream at night of flying, what's the, what's the one flight for you that still to this day really stands out? And that'll help us understand your history a little bit more as well. Yeah, usually uh, when I sleep right now, it is just uh, typically one of the latest flights I had. Uh -huh. uh, but this is why I do all my blogging uh, to keep the memories alive of the past um, past flights and especially the beginnings. And maybe what is uh, really standing out as the most impressive flight in the beginning was my first thermoning flight on my home site. I live in Austria 
uh, in Styria. And we have a little hill. It's just 400 meters uh, above my hometown. And it's barely giving you thermals. But the first time when I was able to climb from there, and especially really gaining height up to 2,000 meters, and then meeting an eagle, that was totally <laughs> overwhelming. So I was passionate about before. But this is what really then crashed me. It made me sell my motorcycle and everything, and then I got totally into flying. <laughs> and what year was that? Uh, that was actually uh, 2001. Okay. Although I started a little bit earlier, but uh, these days they were really inglorious. You know, they were. <laughs> we were having. Uh, I was having a friend who had already a paraglider. It was a very very old one. It was an ALDK Maxi. I think it built you around 88 or 90 or something like this. It was and a parachute. Just, it was actually a parachute, <laughs> but that did not keep us from trying to fly. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we took off, you know, from, from rather steep, steep grassy hills and trying to, to fly down. But those were more sled rides. And we were technically completely not there. Uh, just trying to, you know, to take off and sitting too early into this, what was kind of called a harness. <laughs> Actually, it was just a seat plate and, you know, all these, these bad things happening, you know, you're sitting down too early and you're, you're sitting then on the grass again and, and having a sled ride down and in a fresh, fresh cow dunked, uh, grassy hill. <laughs> You get all the cow dung between your legs and why you, uh, <laughs> sled riding down. So. All these 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 bad things you do in the beginning when you don't know anything. Uh, but those were uh, actually funny parts, and uh, luckily I I never got hurt my whole paragliding life. I have to admit, and also these early days, uh, yeah, they were pretty pretty rough. <laughs> but uh, I, I easily, or luckily, I I did not hurt myself uh, in these things. We also tried wind. <laughs> that was also pretty bad we just took a rope what we have seen in the videos you know there was the times prior to youtube and so on but we got our hands on some videos where they say we saw people uh, pulling other gliders up uh with people um doing kind of a winch thing and we, we did that also in the in the flat fields and yeah of course we did not know anything about it and my my friend was driving the car and she just drove <laughs> against the wind and it was, of course, uh, then the the ground effect we did not know either about uh, kicked in. And then as, as soon as I got lifted a couple of meters, the wind was really strong. And, whoa, I felt uh, such a high pressure. The rope, of course, was torn. My glider was turned. And then I went downwind coming in at, I don't know, 60 or 70 kilometers oh. an hour. <laughs> that was... Ah, the beginnings. <laughs> Yep, the beginnings. You, <laughs> I, I, I often, you, often you, compare it to like going through college. You know, it's just amazing that we make it. <laughs> you know, <yep>. <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> some some don't, but uh, luckily, some of us some of us do. But okay, well, I'm going to earmark your your uh, approach to risk because I think it's quite no, it's not totally unique, but it's 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 really something we need to talk about. I'm going to save that for a little bit later. But first, tell me about your blog. Uh, you you mm -hmm. pointed me to it recently. You give a lot of talks, and your your blog has you know it's 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 massive. I I went through it earlier today, and it's in German, so I wasn't able to enjoy it like I should. But um, tell me about the blog. What what is it? What are you trying to accomplish there? Yeah. Uh First of all, the blog started out as just keeping my memories. You know, I was from the beginning, I was, I was taking pictures 
and I love just to keep my memories fresh because I soon found out, uh, yeah, they those memories they they vanish easily, and I want to keep the the things alive. So I always try to do pretty close to the time when the when the nice and big outstanding flights happen to do some blog entries to keep those memories fresh because then you can put your emotions in and um, there are also always a lot of pictures uh, to, to remind me of the feelings I had in the past and from that idea uh, it started out in the year uh, 1999 since then I'm blogging um, about paragliding things and uh, this came bigger over the years and more structure, of course, with the possibilities and my abilities to do blogs, uh, they became kind of uh, yeah cross-country. Uh, I don't want to call it Bibles, but some kind of references. If you want to learn to fly a special place and you are able to understand German somehow, uh, you can go to that blog and uh, by reading a couple of those uh, adventures or just flipping through those pictures and seeing my uh, descriptions of what I see and what my decisions were and why did I take them, uh, you really can then learn a lot. It has always at its end uh, a lessons learned uh, compendium of all flights and actually also the flights we did together. And I think it was already the 15th or 17th time uh, we have been to Grente. There is still, uh, I don't know, five or six new lessons learned. And when you look mm. at it, it, it adds up over time. So I've made a freely available lessons learned compendium of all my flights. They are organized by, by site, by weather, uh, by, um, by, the, by the conditions uh, we had and all these things. Uh, so it, was it a, an unstable day or, or a stable day and all these things? So you easily can figure out um, by just looking at it for half an hour and you go to a new site for you and you are already kind of prepared. Mm. So... This is the this is the, the main purpose because I'm totally convinced that uh, that everybody should have free access to to know everything. It's just like you do, and, and this is why I admire your cloud-based mayhem show so much. It helped me so much throughout my my whole becoming a, a better pilot. That this is my my little contribution, really to 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 tell the people what I know, because I still do a lot of mistakes. Unfortunately, not life-risking mistakes. They are more or less always just technical. Uh, luckily, just technical. But still, they, they, they are not necessary to be done. So uh, this is why I try to, to give that knowledge away to everything and spread the word. And, and I get a lot of positive feedbacks uh, from the pilots. So, hey, this is what I aim for. Yeah, and, and we'll, I love when we'll, it helps. We'll include all of that, of course, in the show notes because that's just an amazing kind of Bible of of flying, and I, I really <laughs> appreciate that you're you're doing that. We we need you know as much of that kind of thing as possible. And it, you know, we were before we started talking, before we started recording, uh, I was saying how much I appreciated you coming up to me before the flight at Antholz and just giving me some really key local beta. Hey, be careful about this. Get high before you go there. Uh, you know, these are things that, you know, I often don't get, you know, much these days. Uh, people say, oh, that's Gavin. He's an ex-ops pilot. He doesn't yeah. even know anything. And, uh, but that was, that was super helpful. It was, it was great. I still kind of tried to do, do my own thing as I do and, and got slammed for it at the end, but that was, that was a, that was fun. And it was, it was good knowledge to have. Um, 
you said something that kind of blew me away also before we started recording that, you know, that you kind of consider yourself still a very recreational pilot. You know, you don't even know how to do proper wingovers, which I don't believe for a second, but. Hey man, <laughs> believe me, it's a shame. <laughs> well, it is a shame. Well, how do you, I'm, how do you, you know, how do you win X contest? Uh, you won it in 2015, you won it in 2017. Uh, I sit, I'm an X, X contest junkie. You know, when I sit at home in Sun Valley, we get very few, you know, when it's good in Sun Valley, it's, it's among one of the best places to fly in the world. But unfortunately it happens very rarely. So there's a lot of nights where I have to get on X contest and go, Oh my God, those guys cracked another 290 and Antholtz. I mean, in this April was just like pure torture for me watching you guys send <laughs> three days in a row of just yeah. huge flights. You know, when I look at those on X contest and I look at these huge flights, you're almost always at the top. You're in the right place and you have, you know, you have the top speed, the average speed. Uh, and, you know, you're flying an Enzo 3, you're flying a very fast wing. That's that's certainly part of it. But but it's also, you know, you're flying with a lot of really good pilots in a really good place. And so I, I'm not trying to, I know that's, uh, this is hard to hint, answer as a humble person, which you are, but uh how does that work you know how do you fly fast yeah. how do you pick it's, these exceptional days yeah it's it's pretty pretty unspectacular because it just improves uh, from year to year you have to imagine me uh starting out on a on a on a very easy glider i was just flying five years just down from my home hill and i was happy with that and uh i just figured out uh, I don't want to go into big detail uh, about how my, my whole progression went, but just focus on the on the cross country perspective. I just figured out uh, with my with my job and my limited spare time, it has to be the the right place and the right conditions. Otherwise, you will maybe fly like a hero and you will don't you will not make big distance. And somehow I was always um, fascinated by that. How far can you can you push a day? Uh, so uh, and key to, to flying far then um, was then just to figure out and really kind of make sure almost what is the best option available in my area. As I live in the Eastern Alps, uh, I'm just uh, I just want to limit myself to just four four hours driving from from my hometown. So that's kind of limits to the to the South Tyrol maybe Tyrol area where I want to go. And over the time, I really went into that in deep analysis uh, of, of weather forecasts and lucky us uh, the the forecasting systems they, they really have improved and when you have a look at days that uh, you consider as good and you are in the air uh, you get a good feeling which weather sites you can trust for what because not I don't have a single weather source uh, to make my flying decisions it is, it is a couple of them, and all of them have their advantages and some things that where they are a little bit too conservative or a little bit too aggressive in judgment or just wrong because they con don't consider special uh, weather weather happenings that are, going, uh, that are going on. So I really focused on finding the right day. This is key. Also for, for risk management. I'm not, I'm not a pilot who just focused on, on passive safety and, and the, the rest will, will happen by itself. I was always focused on, on being kind of a, a self-responsible uh, person. Uh, I also then started, for example, that's maybe funny. 
I started out on a DHV3 glider, you know, that's like an EN, that's like an END CCC glider. That was my <laughs> very first glider. <laughs> what? Yeah, I'm not kidding. It was a DHV3. It was a, a pro design contest. 42, it, it has very short lines, so it was very agile. And this is how I, I learned my, my paragliding. Mm. Of course, because it was cheap. <laughs> but still, it made, me, it made me from the beginning on taking responsibility. And um, I, I kind of make feel uh, a little bit uh, uncomfortable by pushing that, especially in the, the German-spoken area, by pushing that uh, whole passive safety thing so much. Mm. Because it takes away... The, the feeling that people are responsible for themselves to just, hey, uh, I want a, sh uh, a, a wing that takes care of me. Uh, I have a totally different approach. I, I'd rather have a wing that allows me a lot of things to control and I don't want to give the control away to the wing and hope that it uh, reacts nicely. Let me so, ask you, I don't, I don't want to cut in here, but I, I, let me mm -hmm. ask you something that Bill Belcourt told me. I, I was really... Uh, second guessing my decision for my wing choice uh, in the last X ops in 2017. And I really wanted to fly a hotter wing than I was planning on with my sponsor. And, and he said, Gavin, 95% of the time you need performance, 5% of the time you need safety. And I, I've been reticent to say that on the podcast because I don't want to, you know, I want, you know, the, this is, it's important to put out the right message to all of our listeners and, you know, I think that, you know, some amount of passive safety, depending on your skill level, of course, is really important, but that really gelled with me. And I, I have said many, many, many times, I personally, if you have the hours and you have the skill level and you've done the SIV and, you know, and you're tuned up, um, me personally, I'm a lot safer on a pretty hot two liner than I would be on a B because of where I fly and where I go and where I take a glider. And, you know, I want the performance. I want the bar. Definitely. Yeah, I totally second that. And wherever I go, uh, I tell the people when they say, hey, I, I feel not uh, comfortable. And they are just following this uh, ENA, ENB, ENC kind of pro progression type. But uh, I see, I fly a lot of them and I've pretty, I fly fast and, and I come along, those ENB pilots, and they get so much more collapses. And it's not just, I think, because of bad pilots, it's just because the principle of, of three liners is just different and they are just more prone to, to collapse. Mm. But uh, it's hard to get that, that attitude going. So before uh, the, the whole abilities come that what you have uh, mentioned before, I think first of it is the attitude. Mm. What type of pilot are you? What approach do you have to, to piloting and to really take responsibility and initiative uh, to fly a wing? This is the, the beginning of, of everything. And I think from there, you can derive then uh, your progression. Of course, you have to, to, to progress uh, from technical things and to, to know all that stuff. But basically, uh, I don't. Uh, I'm not happy with that. That two liners still are considered as, as some kind of always hot chips. In my opinion, they they give you so much more control that I would be frightened uh, to fly on in a, in a really turbulent conditions and especially windy conditions uh, with a with a three liner uh, that is maybe lower classified. Just because of those, like you said before, five percent passive safety. 
Would you Plus, agree? Would you agree? I, I just want to make sure we're clear in our in our messaging here because I totally agree. Would you agree with that? You know, you said that you have this much greater feel on a two liner. Absolutely, there's no doubt about that. You know, we're flying the bees all day long. Uh, we can feel everything. We feel when the air is starting to get a little bit weird, but. I would I would add that you you just you definitely need the skills to fly that kind of glider and that that does take a lot of hours. I mean I I just I wouldn't I don't want people to hear this and just jump to a two liner without the no. without the like you said without the knowledge without the history without the ability to fly that wing and what I I my my good metaphor is is kayaking. You know, you shouldn't really kayak a class five river until you're nailing every eddy just without thinking about it at class four. So, you know, in other words, you know, if you're flying an Enzo and you're hammering that thing, you're ready for an Enzo. But if you're flying an Enzo and you're tepid and you're scared and you're not sure how to use the bees and you're not sure how to use the bar, yeah, you need to be on a Zeno. Mm -hmm. Would you agree? Yep. Okay. Uh, definitely. Uh, I just want to admit everything. It's just not the feeling you mm -hmm. have on, on a two-liner. It is the control abilities. I sure. miss on the other three-liner constructions. You can't just not control, especially if you want to fly fast, a wing like you can on a two-liner. It's just based on the, on the principle of design. Mm. And I actually, I was I was paving my way when I won 2015 X Contest. It was on a Mentor 6, but I felt much more uncomfortable, especially on high speeds, than on the Zeno. On my first flight on the Zeno, I knew, hey, this is it. This is just, it It just felt so safe. It felt so nice. And it felt just like I'm much more in control in a bigger speed range. And like you said, uh, especially when you have a lot of headwind to battle against, the two liners, they just penetrate so well. You can stay on bar and just control everything with the bees. And Alex, finally, you, uh, you, you won hmm? the X contest in 2015 on a mentor? Nope. On a ment, uh, sorry, on a mantra six. Oh, sorry. God. But, I was, I was wrong. Oh, on, a, on a Mantra 6. Okay. Ozone. Well, still. The wing. That's yeah. still phenomenal. Holy cow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, it was also funny because those were the days where the, the Alpine flights, they were not superseded by the, by the Brazilian flights you have to do these days. Sure. And uh, especially with uh, those uh, Mantra 6, a triangle around 250, 260 kilometers was still worth something. Mm. So, oh, God, and you yeah, could do those things nicely on on those old uh, E and D wings. They were nice thermaling, but it, it's just not comparable at all uh, to the modern two liners. Mm. So, when did you when did you, when did you make the jump? Uh, actually, um, I had a Peak Three before, okay, and it was really the bulletproofest wing I, I ever had. It was my first two line experience. And I was really happy, but really on full bar, especially on comps that I do occasionally, I really was not happy. And also regarding thermaling, it was just, um, for me, it was not easy to keep it really, especially in weak conditions, mm. uh, in, a, in a good uh, thermaling average speed. So then I went to this, this Mantra 6, who was a really um, a good climber, but uh, I kind of missed then the, the, the speed bar, bulletproof feeling that I that I had on this this peak three, and that totally then came back uh, on the Zeno, and I was flying the Zeno uh, now for two years, and actually this year when I tried a, a flow, 
XC racer uh, that was um, a little bit more to, to handle, a little bit uh, hotter to handle and a little bit more workload than the Xeno. But it was also climbing very well. And then I, I thought to myself, hey, when I anyway have to deal with that more workload, why don't fly an Enzo where everybody, an Enzo 3 especially, where everybody I talked to said, hey, it's such a well-behaved glider. It, it's just nice. You can, can fly it even in the nasty conditions and it won't uh, be bad to you. And then, then I tried it and I got a very old lady <laughs> with two, two, uh, 250 plus hours on it, but still uh, I'm, I'm so happy with it because it's just always it ha you have always everywhere a little bit the edge with it it's thermaling nicer and especially the day when we met uh in in Antholz. the next day we have been to to Meyerhoven. i flew the first time in the zillatal and there were predicted strong westerly northwesterly winds and they were actually really there especially further up in the north and we got a, we got beaten the whole time uh, in nasty lee conditions. So really, with strong wind, uh, lee winds, uh, with 25, 30 kilometers plus on the lee side. So it was really, really tough to do. Hey, and the glider, I don't lie to you, it was open all the time. Mm. Of course, you have a lot of work to do, but it, I just dug myself out together with Primoz, Susha. I fly a lot this year, and hey, we worked ourselves out, and the glider were so well behaved. Um, it was really amazing how in, in piloting um, level, uh, how narrow the, the gap is. I expected much more hotshipness uh, when piloting in, in those nasty conditions. But actually, even there, when you, when you of course, uh, work uh, what has to be done with the glider, uh, they, they totally, uh, they, they are not waiting just to be be mad to you you know and throw mm. you off no they 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 just generate lift from all kinds of rough mm -hmm. air you're just constantly coming out at, at speed and you feel confident and yeah they're they're just the ccc gliders these days are, are amazing they're just beautiful wings well hey i got you on a sidetrack there uh mm -hmm. bring bring me back to how you're identifying these days and again folks we're, we'll have all these resources that alex is, is talking is going to talk about um what he uses to kind of identify these banger hammer talk days uh in the in the show notes but take us back to where you were you were talking about what you how do you identify these days and show up at anthols on the on the good one yep um i have a, a pretty pretty simple approach uh that I has developed over the years what i do to identify great days uh first of all I don't give. A, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. I don't give a shit about predictions uh, longer than than seven days ahead. I don't even look at weather forecasts uh, for a longer time. Um, things get interesting for me, especially uh, five two days ahead. And there, I really want to point out a perfect service we have in the Alps here. That's called Soaring Meteo. Uh, ch maybe uh, you're anyway familiar with that already from the X-Alps experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, hey, and it gives you, you know, it's the GFS model. It's maybe not very precise, but it gives you a very fast look at at the day's quality. Uh, I think one week ahead, hmm. and they have a nice, easy coloring scheme. Maybe it takes uh, still some hours to get into that. How they how they judge the 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 paragliding quality of those days hey you have a good initial idea hey could there be a nice day ahead or not 
And then, uh, of course, with the ever-expanding abilities of Windy, uh, you get a lot of those uh, various other um, meteor models you can compare with. And uh, then I really start to look at hmm, uh, what, what kind of air mass is coming and especially what kind of cloud cover uh, can we expect there. That's really where they, where they stand out. I also love the meteograms of Meteor Blue. Mm. They're also very nice because you see how the cloud uh, base will be, how, how thick the clouds can come, is there precipitation to be expected. And these are the things I, I roughly have uh, on the radar uh, for, the, for the five days or three days. And then when it really starts to look good, then there comes the, the especially for my area, the Austrian uh, Meteorology Institute has a really nice um, clouding uh, overcasting forecast and a raincoat forecast. Uh, that's pretty pretty accurate. And what's also uh, an important um, aspect is when we have especially southerly conditions, you want to make sure you have the, the dust forecast in mind. Because sometimes those meteor models, they don't get the dust. We get a lot of uh, dust from, from Sahara when we have southerly winds. And they can make the sky completely overcast and dead. And some of those weather models, they just don't consider that. So, uh, How do you get that? Uh, it, there is a, a Greek site. It's called Skiron. Uh, maybe we really put it down in the show notes. notes mm, yeah. Uh, that, that considers that. Wow. Because, you know, uh, the thermal index would be really nice and the winds are nice. And you wonder, hey, how, where is that overcastiness coming from? And it's just dampening so much of the solar energy uh, that we've had already some years ago, a couple of days, uh, where we stood on those uh, uh, on the mountains and just did not know what happens, what's going on. And the, the condensation, you know, but what you have with a very fine dust that totally then makes the, the sky overcast and takes away the, the thermal energy. So this is also something... I always check, you know, it's 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 very fast. Uh -huh. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it? Uh, but with the northerly winds we have had this year throughout uh, the season, uh, there were never any issues. But still, something just to make sure, uh, because this also can influence uh, that I make a decision to go flying or not. And then uh, on one of the days ahead, uh, one day ahead, uh, I just look at uh, the the Ausdruckkontrolle. There is. Um, uh, the thermal uh, quality very well judged by these and you, you get the cloud base you get a good idea how high the cloud base can be and if there is overdevelopment and you can see about all the three levels of clouds uh, very nicely uh, yep and again of course until the end it's called windy and i want to point out that uh, meteor parapont uh, is something that i really use if it's a humid day for local prediction of thunderstorms mm. so uh, you know when you have a, a high humid highly humid day uh you know you, it's it's kind of a lucky game where maybe thunderstorms will happen or not of course there is a tendency where they are more often but i really started to trust in prometeo parapont about those those pre rather precise locations or areas uh, where the thunderstorms will then really be and uh and you're still you're still totally willing to fly on those days. It's more just you know that you you'll try to pick a triangle that can work around something like that, or is that exactly. just a day I'm not going? Exactly. And this is, for example, where I did not um, append a second day 
to our first uh, untold yeah. flight because uh, I saw the, the Uber development uh, happening. Although a couple of friends were still going for that day to Antwerp, and I say I told them, "Hey guys, today was the the good day. Tomorrow is is, is going to be an open development." And this is why I said, "Okay, uh, it's just pointless to fly around a couple of hours uh, and then just being uh, disappointed uh, that then the uh, open development happens." So we we went up to the northern side. What model, you know, in the in the states we use XC Skies a lot, which is kind of like Medio Blue or oh. Medio Parapente. Um, cool. In the in the past, um, it has been very inaccurate in Europe because there in Europe he only had GFS, but now he has uh, the ECWF, ECMWF, and the Icon model. Mm-hmm. Um, which which models are you really? putting more weight in these days uh i totally forgot to mention uh, xc skies it was there from the beginning and i still use it and especially when you when you look at the blog entries these are the screenshots uh, i take mm. and it's uh, really a basis for decision because i like the the low wind <laughs> they always forecast <laughs> yeah, they're, because they're always more when you look at the other wind <laughs> forecasts you maybe would not go flying because right. you know they always say a nasty something and the winds, a wind erodes the thermals. So I still, with the old GFS model, uh, I still love the XC skies. First of it all, it costs almost nothing for what you get. You get the winds in a very nice, uh, I think, 300-meter level layer, and they, they are averaged. And this is what I'm anyway mostly uh, interested in. What is the average wind? Because I know... Whenever there is uh, there is a spine that is then blown over from the back, that there will be uh, some leak conditions there and everything. But still, getting an idea of the overall wind and how it develops, XC Sky is totally one of the, of the main, especially when it comes to wind decisions, uh, one of the main resources I use. Interesting, Alex. How much how much of your success do you credit to learning the weather? Sixty percent. I'd say at wow, least. really? Definitely, definitely. Because uh, it's it's just just imagine you are on the wrong hill on the perfect day. Mm. You don't get those hours. Mm. And the first ingredient is to be on the right mountain on the right takeoff. Mm. Because from there, uh, you can make sure that you have a lot of hours you can learn from. Just imagine you you take off and you have to you you you're forced to land after one hour or two hours. You lack those eight hours of experience that you still could fly from from another uh, nice mountain. Mm. So this is uh, totally totally key to to flying big is just the weather, and of course for the safety. Uh, it's I cannot point it out more. Um, I would not dare to fly those hot wings with my abilities of flying. Um, if conditions are just just wild, like like you guys do, I could never imagine uh, to fly myself or take part in the in the X contest. Uh, sorry, in the X Alps. I, I did uh, in 2003 in the very first edition as a supporter of, of an Austrian team member. But still, uh, my my abilities, although even yeah, almost uh, 18 years later, they are far from being there to feel able to to cope with with all these these conditions because i would just shit my pants you know <laughs> i just don't 
can't do it. Well, I, and I'm not, and even not, not willing because uh, it's just too wild for me, way too wild. <laughs> I, I think this is an, an important point because I, you know, one of the, a lot of the feedback I get from listeners is like, Hey, you know, I, I really dig, you know, that you're talking to these people like Kriegel, but I can't be Kriegel. I can't emulate Kriegel. I'll never be Kriegel. I can't get 300 hours a year. You know, I actually really like when you talk to, you know, the, the weekend warriors, the people that are, you know, that are getting after it as much as they can considering life, job, kids, you know, all the things that most people have to consider. Um, you know, I, I'm not putting you in the weekend warrior category. We chased it hard in the middle of the week recently, but you are pretty constrained to talk about your job. Talk about how you've approached flying when you can't, you, you, you know, you, you've got to be really choosy. Absolutely. Uh, in my old job, uh, I was, I was forced in a kind of an all inclusive, uh, contract. Uh, this means Whatever you do, you cannot uh, get any second of leisure time added. So this is the main reason why I also got really picky about when to, to take off vacation. As you have mentioned before, of course, I have a family um, I have to take care of. And I want to, want to balance that out all very nicely. So uh, I have just limited resources in days. This means typically 10 days per year flying because three weeks is family. Uh, vacation so i want to uh, spend that wisely <laughs> and um, uh, those constraints they they kind of force you to to also be picky about those days because when i already take a day off i want to really make sure that i that i max out these days and the flying experiences there are you doing anything in particular when you when you only have you know th those days you're you're getting you know a lot of hours because you're having eight nine ten eleven hour flights but with these long gaps what are you doing you know the night before three days before the day of you know just to make sure i mean i often just i don't feel very tuned up when i fly like that you know if i haven't flown in a couple weeks then you know the first hour i'm kind of nervous and i'm thinking more about my where my reserve handle is and you know classically because it's me you know i'll have forgotten something <laughs> you know, and i won't have my p-tube or you know whatever something kind of critical and you even reminded me that day on whatsapp which i really appreciated like hey man prepare for a 10-hour flight we want to be in the air a long time and uh you know that really helps but what what can you relate to those who you know are are in your situation? Because I, I find it I find it hard to tune up when there's big breaks. Yep. Uh, maybe Gavin, you you go flying on the wrong days uh, because uh, normally when I when I'm, I'm I'm seeing a good day coming, that that's the point where the, where the total passion and overwhelmedness uh, gets gets in. Mm. You know, uh, and especially when we hike up uh, those those, those mountains. Uh, this is when the, the the passion kicks in, and when you have a, a nice day to fly. Uh, typically, when you when you start so early for a cross country flight, like like you have to if you want to go far. The conditions anyway start out so smoothly, you know, and you have then the time to make yourself comfortable. And typically, if you know your gear kind of well and you have a couple of hours already head on it, usually the first mild hours or one and a half hours. They are really to, to get yourself comfortable because typically when you when you start early, conditions are weak. You have to milk something. You have to be really sensitive how much uh, bar you pull. And there is enough time to get a 
is myself comfortable even if there is a gap of one month that is totally usual, hmm. you know, in my flying. Because uh, like like we have had it this year, uh, there was always one month gap between the big flights. And uh, as I said before, if I don't if I cannot do big flights, um, I don't have the time to 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 just make make smaller ones. So this is totally enough to get myself comfortable and to to really uh, yeah get myself into tune to, to fly big. How do you one of the one of the questions I get all the time in emails from listeners is they go, hey, you know, I can make it three hours or I can make it five hours, but I I just you know I kind of bonk or I lose it or I lose focus. Um, how, you know, how do I get over the hump? And m- my answer is, is always been, you know, you, we forget as pilots that this is, you know, you need to physically train and, you know, because I train for the X ops and that kind of thing. I, I, I don't, you know, I'll, I'll suffer from a lack of focus at some point in the flight and have to rein it back in. That's usually just water or food. But, um, but I, I often say, listen, it's physical training, but are you doing anything in particular or special, uh, to prepare beyond the mental side. And it's really mostly mental, isn't it? But, uh, to, mm-hmm. for these long flights, cause you know, when I look at your top five flights this year, they're, <laughs> they're monsters. They're huge. How, how yeah. just, just bang them out. I'm going to, I'm going to embarrass you. What are your yeah. top five flights right now? Um, the top five, five flights right now is, uh, I think three, 290, whatever, just not 300 this year. And I think it is uh, the, the weakest one is a two C. Okay, folks. So that's one. he's talking FAIs there, of course. So yeah, okay. So your weakest one is two sixty FAI. <laughs> oh boy, there's got a lot of listeners in the U.S. that are beating their fists against the wall right now. Yeah, <laughs> we just don't have yeah, the terrain uh, to do that. But yeah, we, we we can we can elaborate on that how this worked. As I told you at the beginning, it just developed over the years, and I can give you a nice re- recipe. How, how to get there, how, how it just must happen like that. Yes, there is no, please. Yes, no please. alternative. Be, before you do, yeah, answer the first question, and then sure. we'll go to your recipe. And the first question, of course, uh, uh, everything comes again from a set goal. You know, I'm, I'm a totally mental person. I'm, I'm an engineer, and I, I'm totally uh, goal-oriented. This means, what do I want to happen? I want to make it sure that if you have two good days, after each other, I want to be, uh, be able to hike up the Grente that is almost two hours with a 25 to 30 kilo backpack. I want to fly each day 12 hours. And I want to make the, make sure that I don't get myself into risk because I'm tired or something like this. Hmm. So this is the final end scenario that I want to have happening. So from that, I derive what do I have to do to, to achieve that? Uh, so I go into the gym uh, two or three times uh, a week, usually listening to your podcasts. Actually, <laughs> get all the mental side in parallel, the full overdose of knowledge, you know, and and doing uh, also some physical training. Although I do not make a hard workout, I just make a, a kind of a kind of a core body strengthening. That's what you actually really need when you go there. I don't do endurance training so big and lucky me I'm, I'm not a smoker so and i have a good good base physiology and i don't have to carry extra weight because i'm rather a slim person anyway but still i want to make sure 
that especially the areas you need and the the, the core uh, the core uh, muscles that they are strong that you don't get sore shoulders because you're pushing the power a lot you're carrying having equipment always resting on your shoulders you want to make sure that you don't have shoulder problems you also want to make sure you have enough uh, power in your arms to get those b handles where that you're currently actually from a 10 or 11 hours flight i'm um, whatever mm. maybe not when I'm not thermaling, I'm not on the bees, but actually I'm always on collide. I'm on the bees and doing something typically. Mm. Maybe not always necessary, but it just makes me feel comfortable when I go full bar. Um, so I just want to make sure that those things, those muscle groups you need during flying, they don't get sore on a, let's say, 20 hours flying and four hours hiking uh, event. Um, so this is uh, from the from the physical physical side um what i do then what really helps me uh i also get often uh, to hear it often from my wife that, that i'm not normal okay so <laughs> none, I, none of us are normal alex <laughs> <laughs> maybe my, my, my wife thinks it, it's really okay i'm typically not normal because i'm a i'm kind of a nerd when it comes to to, to analysis and, and finding things out you also mentioned you are kind of an ex-contest addict I also, especially my preparation starts uh, after my, my, my after the flights I've done, not so much before the flights happening. It's always kind of a, a looking what ha- has happened there uh, when I was flying on a distance, uh, where some other pilots have been. Maybe have ha- they have some some better areas where they were finding nicer lines or climbing better or even new ser- thermal trigger points. Um, so this is something I really dig into. Because I love it so much, you know, the whole analysis thing, maybe for other people, oh, they just want to go fly and this might sound dry stuff. But especially with, with the Avery system, you have really nice 3D animations. Uh, you have with the Navita CU software, you have uh, the options to get yourself some, some waypoints there and where the thermal triggers are and all these things. I love to do in advance to, to develop a, a good feeling. Also, what I do is um, I write myself for each uh, takeoff spot. I write myself down um, kind of a, a, a guide. Mm. Uh, this means I take screenshots, and I, that's also one of the reasons I do so many photos during flying and a lot of videos uh, to to really see where the clouds have been, where the triggers were, what were the conditions like, and I always uh, write those things down, and then. Uh, coming back to what you said before, this is then the preparation I do, especially on a on a triangle. Even if I was flying there already ten times, hey, I flip over those pages that have aggregated it over the years with all the knowledge, and just to make sure, hey, I don't waste time by flying around because I really want to be be efficient because I I love efficiency and I enjoy it actually so much. When I think, hey, wow, I just surfed the sky there, almost no thermaling. It really makes me makes me happy. And this also helps then not to get exhausted. Coming back to those, having uh, the two days um, ability to fly there, you need just also mental recreational things. And this is then again where, where my passion about the, the, the whole moment uh, kicks in so much. Because, hey, when you are there at 3,800 or 4,000 plus meters, and you're thermaling and just thinking, hey, where to go there? You look at the landscape and it's just so overwhelming each time. 
and this is what 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 relieves my stress uh, then also completely okay and when you are established in a thermal hey for me that's just relaxing there is not any any stressy thing anymore because everything is set and even if the next decision where to go is set hey I just circle there for a couple of minutes and that totally gets myself down uh, with with a stress level again that I'm really prepared to for the next maybe challenging uh, passage I, I, I come across. When you're when you're analyzing these tracks and you sent me those great Avery files uh, of the you know you kind of put it together in two shots which I have done quite extensively with the last couple of X Alps you know you always get the track logs afterwards and it's just fascinating it's great to watch because you go oh well that's ooh, that's a place where I spent way too much time you know compared to Kriegel or somebody else. Um, <laughs> But how do you do? Are you are you also looking at skyways, or are you building all this knowledge from your own flights and, and people you've flown with? Because I I also know that skyways can be a little bit too much. Just... Skyways is totally irrelevant for okay. me because it it covers just all tracks. It's not selective. I just want to always pick out the good lines. Mm. Don't get distracted by by anybody else's flights, you know, recreational flights. So Skyways for me is not a tool. Not a tool. I look at it at all. Okay. It is just um, always uh, picking out really the the nice days, because I anyway expect that I go there flying on a similarly nice day, maybe a different season or maybe a different time in year, but still similar. And then I just pick out those those, those really good days. Like uh, I celebrated my premier flight from Zillatal. I, I never was there. I take the triangles, the big one from Valdatom, and I really try to figure them out and uh, how the the conditions were those days, and then uh, then just see how he thermaled, where he took his glides, and all these things. So I, I totally orient myself on the good flights, so, not even the average ones. Okay, so when you went to the Zillatal the day after we flew Antals, did you have kind of uh, waypoints in from Thomas's flights, you know, already in your flight computer, you know, like, okay, well, let's, he went whatever, you know, 290, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of emulate basically that, or do you leave it pretty open so you can kind of fly the sky? No, when I go there the first time, I'm pretty technical. Okay. Put on even thermal trigger points. Actually, it, it gives me just a feeling of safety in flight. I unfortunately, no, you're I don't going somewhere know why, that... but I never... I never look at, at them, uh, but it gives mm. me just a, uh, a good feeling that in case I would need it, I have it. But as a side uh, effect of the whole preparation thing, you really uh, you really intensify uh, the flight experience before by looking those Avery animations and having the CU software at hand. I'm really able to to get myself a good imagination of of how it would be which lines work, uh, which lines maybe not, or just have not flown, been flown before. So rather stick on the on the elaborated routes. So if I don't get washed down by any lee, I really try to stick those lines the, where, the, which, with, where the good um, days have been flown on. Tell me about two things. Uh, your gear, what are you flying and why? And then on those big flights, do you have any kind of uh, check-in moments for water, for food, for presence of mind, uh, you know, any, any kind of telltales that, you know, like Revis, my support in, in the X-Ops, he has this great one where, you know, if he gets to launch and 
three things, you know, he, before he launches, he's, you know, forgotten or missed three things. And these are not major things. These could be like, you know, your string on your phone or whatever, you know, like little mm -hmm. things. That's just a, 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 like a call to attention for him. Oh, I might be a little tired. I might not have had enough coffee. You know, they, they like, this is a heads up, you know, maybe this isn't my mm -hmm. day. Do you have any kind of, so too many questions, but folks, so no, gear, it's... gear and why, um, and then do you have any kind of, you know, what, what's in your, what's in your flight deck? Okay. Uh, just starting out, uh, with the gear. Yeah. I right now feel comfortable with my X-rated seven harness and, uh, wing wise, um, I upgraded this year from a Xeno that I've flown two years before to an Enzo three. And I'm really, really happy and really surprised what the Ozonis got out there for us pilots to, to enjoy. It's just, for me, really comfortable, and especially after the Zillatar flight, it was really a lot of beating we have taken there. Um, I'm really confident that I can pilot it, although I have no experience big time with, with SIVs or, or any other things. Regarding uh, preparation from the before the wait, takeoff. Before, mm -hmm. wait a minute, what, what instruments too? What do, you, what do you have on your flight deck? I recently bought a, a brand new XC Tracer. Okay. With, with a flarm and i really love it because awesome. it has almost almost no um no lag in in feedback but i flew once with just that little thing and i was totally not able to 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 get them um, um established if i'm right now in, in a good thermal or not so i i do need a, a second vario too so i fly with an audi 4 Okay. This is also for my navigation purposes, and I figured it out having the the, uh, the XC tracer in a silent mode or in, in a quiet mode beside my ear, and having the Audi in front. Those two vario tones they give me the, the perfect ability to, to really read the, the skies much better and thermal more efficiently. So you've left. Uh, this is interesting to me because I I only fly the XC Tracer unless I'm in a comp, and then I'll add my my flight deck sixty thirty or something. You know, just because I I've always loved that one. But what I had to do with the XC Tracer was dampen it so it was more like an averager rather than immediate. But you've left yours immediate because I had the same thing the first time I yeah. went out and it was immediate. <laughs> I, I just couldn't find a core to save my life. It was like, well, it's there. Oh no, shit. Exactly. So, okay. And so, I, but once I dampened it and re it really kind of emulates, I just, it took me a while. I actually got it from, from a world cup pilot. He gave me his configuration settings. Then now I just, I just use it and I love it. But, um, so you're using it really out of the box. So it's just so it's so uh, it yeah, is kind just of. immediate. I, of course, okay. I adjusted the the tone. Yeah, the yeah. tone I co totally customized myself. Uh, I have uh, there there is no gap between uh, rising air and sinking air, so I always get the feedback there. Mm. And um, the thing is, just uh, I left it uh, with almost zero dampening effect to really uh, in disorganized thermals. I, at least I think I have a much better understanding. And when you when you actually see my, my videos that I always do, uh, I, and I put out on my Vimeo channel, uh, you can then hear uh, the difference. And the, there, it is it is just a huge difference when you are already in in, in sinking air. Told by the XC tracer, uh, your averager on the Audi still, of course, tells you, "Hey, sure. you're doing still quite you're fine." Okay. But actually, it's just not that. So I find it you you have to get used to it. And it took me one or two flights. To really, to really combine those mentally, 
those two types of information, but it really helps me to climb better. I'm, I'm sure. Hmm. Interesting. Cool. Okay. So sorry, I cut you off again. So yep. keep going with your, what's in your flight deck. <laughs> um, and uh, then of course, uh, also based on your recommendations, I got a Delorme inReach, mm -hmm. uh, the old one, uh, just in case. And recently, uh, as I'm also an avid uh, competition flyer uh, in my area, uh, and our competition league, the Austrian competition league, has said uh, you have to have a Flymaster tracker. Mm. I love that device because it's really easy to handle. You just switch it on, you put it in the, the backside of your gear, and you land, you turn it off, and uh, even, even the track logs that get uploaded immediately to all your xcontests, xc.dhv, and uh, all those online contests you want to have. And especially uh, the, your friends at home, they really can enjoy your flying in, in 3D. Hey, man, I love their 3D environment. Mm. Their, the coverage is just, just really cool. Mm. So I really uh, say, hey, uh, it's just a perfect uh, piece of kit. And in totally, uh, it gets completed by a, uh, a Bräuniger, a Competino Plus, because I just love its readability. Mm. I still look at it uh, for compass and for speed because the readability, at least with my my sunglasses of the Audi and the cockpit uh, angle that uh, uh, the X-rated 7 gives you, it's just not, not really perfect. I, I hardly can, can read it. So I'm still with the old standard Competino Plus screen. I really love that for its, its clear readability. And that's pretty much uh, my flight deck. I don't do anything with tablets yet because of the same readability issue. Mm, mm, okay. And how much are you drinking? How much are you eating? What do you, what do you have on board for that kind of thing? Um, it's usually just uh, some kind of muesli bars <clears throat> that I eat throughout the whole day. And I have a uh, yeah, backpack with, with uh, electrolyte uh, drinking. I figured out if you're just drinking water, it just you just pee it out without uh, giving you the, the necessary minerals. So um, I have an electrolyte mm. uh, enriched water, uh, and I typically drink uh, two liters. And I'm totally not one of those people being able to fly a big distance without um, without peeing a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's just totally not possible for me. It's especially in the beginning. Uh, in the first couple of hours and it still it helps me just to drink a lot more because I don't have to think about that mm, mm. it just works works fine with the XCP great love it uh, where what was, the, what was the second part of that I had for okay yeah so in the, preparation yeah preparation uh, I'm for sure all, all of my old friends I'm the the type of guy that takes the longest time uh, I have a lot of itsy and bitsy here and there to get myself ready. I'm not the type of guy who reaches a mountains and 10, 15 minutes later, he's airborne. I'm totally not. So my preparation actually before takeoff starts with a decision when I hike up the mountain because I know it takes time for me. You know, there is a tape here and there is a radio connector there. Then they have to connect the XCP. Then I have to make sure that the lines, they are not somewhat knotted and all these things. And the key for me is just to have time. And even if maybe Primoz or some other guys, they have already taken off and it is already stressful because I see it's working. They are climbing out there. Okay, I say, hey, whatever I do, 
I take rather five times, uh, five minutes more before takeoff just to make sure that everything is perfect and everything is in its place. Then I figure out in the air, hey, I forgot to close my, my air fairing, mm. okay? Mm. Or I forgot to, to attach my XCP really correctly. Or these type of things are to, to close the buckles. So um, no matter which stressful situation there is and thermal activity has already kicked in, I always take my time there because I know usually I, I can catch up somehow and when they when they are gone, okay, uh, yeah, it is like this. Mm. But actually I start really early and, and I know I take long and knowledge again is key. So I try to, to just be right like we have met on, on the Antol today. Mm-hmm. I was way up there before you and I, I, I got up out of the bed. Uh, just uh, yeah, half an hour or one hour earlier, mm-hmm. just to have a really relaxed and and really easy walk up and I know hey I'm there at uh, maybe even before eight a.m. at the takeoff, so I really have my time. I can have nice chat there. I can eat enough and and do all my toilet and all these things uh, to re- just to really then uh, yeah be ready and mm. I would really pe- be pissed at myself if I forgot anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really, it's just for, for those, you know, I just fly typically less than 10 times a year. Okay. What? So I'm, and I could really not, I would really be mad at myself if I then fuck up something on those days. Hold on a second. You're going out maybe 10 days a year. Are you serious? Uh, 10 days a year for XC flying. <sighs> if you take away the, the competition flying, I mean, I also go just competition flying when it's really good days. Yep. This is where I just joined uh, two tasks this year. Uh, but actually, um, yep, that's wow. it. And even on the on those those the first wins uh, on X contests, uh, this was a, a year in total with, with the tandem flights I did with my family, and uh, the whole XC flights. It's I just had uh, sixteen flights the whole year. But those flights are long flights, so I have the hours. <laughs> sixteen flights, one hundred and sixty hours. <laughs> <laughs> that is fantastic. Okay, tell me more. You know, preparation. You you called it recipe too. Tell me more about your recipe. Um, I have, uh, especially um, for for preparation at home. Um, what I have is kind of a, a checklist. Again, uh, I would really don't want that feeling that I I forgot something. So part of the recipe before flight is just uh, to to have kind of a checklist. Uh, not to forget anything, not to forget my bananas or to forget, uh, yeah, something, an XCP or, or something like this. So this is what, what's kind of the, the, the recipe from a, from a technical side. Mm. And otherwise, it's just uh, what recently is more and more focus is really to, to gather good people around you. So one part of the recipe is, hey, to tell the guys that I uh, fly together with, which have a similar level, Hey guys, what do you think about the next days? Where should we go? Do you have time and all these things? So part of the recipe is also to to gather uh, people to fly with. It's because it's more fun and it's just so much more efficient. Mm. So yeah. this is throughout the last years what has developed because in my my former paraglider club they were also hey cool guys and funny guys, but they were just totally not into flying big distances. And even if they were, they they were not on the similar wing not having the similar possibilities and options. So I was always flying at the end if I was flying alone. 
And throughout the, the last years, this just really has, has, has improved because of my whole flying has improved because we are, I was gathering with, with similar uh, pilots with similar skills. And yeah, I'm, I love it. Yeah, I mean, then you've got mentors and you've got you've got all those targets in the air to learn from. I, I mean, that's why comps are so valuable. You just you learn so much more when there's other people around you. Absolutely, absolutely. Alex, you your your wife. Let's get back to what she said that you're you're kind of an unusual person. <laughs> uh, what do you mean by that? And what are your what does she mean by that? And what are your kind of? Let's talk more about how you've built up this success in these huge flights yeah I'm a, I'm a total paragliding nerd i just just love the, the the possibility we have there you know to fly completely silent through through that with just natural resources so i'm totally addicted to the to the principle of flying with a paraglider so i'm totally a, a nerd on that what does that mean being a nerd on it let's, let's dig yeah, into that I, I i suck up everything that is kind of a, a resource uh, of paragliding. Okay. So, for example, if, if somebody writes a book, uh, "Flying Rags for Glory," or like uh, uh, like Maxime uh, yeah. put out uh, this brand new book, hey, I ju- just read them all. And I just when I you know when I when I sit on the toilet and I have nothing to do because it's anyway almost most of the time bad weather, uh, I just get myself in the headspace of, of flying and thinking and and. And training my my analytical uh, yeah possibilities. So this is what I mean with with, with being just a nerd. I just just suck up uh, everything I'm interested in, in everything that's that's related to, to to flying, and especially how I how I can myself improve to 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 to, to fly better because I love just efficiency. It's just part of me. Mm. And second thing is uh, I also love the the. The panorama. So, I mean, you can see I do a lot of videos, especially the my, my season wrap ups. They are they are highly recognized uh, in at least in the German spoken scene, uh, where I make a wrap up of the best moments of all my flights of the the last year. And uh, I just there you can also see the, the the passion for panorama. And I even if I love to fly fast and I love to fly fishing. I always take my time. Hey, to take out if it's a great moment, I take out the camera and then I then I even speak to the camera to to keep those moments alive. Uh, now it's a difficult decision, or how do I feel right now? And it just makes it so so vivid, mm. and it's uh, giving me really a a, a a possibility to to see those uh, or to 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 get those memories uh, fresh um, back again. And mm. um, Last thing uh, I, I came up with is just uh, to, to surround myself, of course, with, with the right people. You don't want those people around you. Oh, do you really think it's a nice day? Oh, do you really want to drive four hours? Oh, man, it's, everything is such an effort. Hey, for me, that's totally no, uh, no discussion because it's just so rewarding. Mm. Because if you have a nice flight for 10 hours, it is such an immense um, adventure. You you land there. You you're you're still stoked for the next two or three days. When I was motorcycling, uh, I also enjoyed it, but it, the feeling just lasted a couple of hours. Mm. When you had a nice flight, you know you you still I think look dumb for the next two or three days because you're still so so flashed with all the thing and insane, insanity um, that happened. Uh, point is also yeah maybe the curiosity I have. 
I always want to see what, what's, what's going on out front. Uh, if it's possible to go there and if it's possible to maybe take this route, so the, the curiosity mm. is something that I also contribute a lot of my motivation to. Uh, and also that things are complicated. I, I don't get, uh, don't get uh, discouraged if things are complicated. Actually, I, I love it. You know, it's all those, those kind of natural riddles you have there uh, when you when you go and fly and it's just always uh, the the riddle uh, kind of against and, and with nature how far can i go that's really something that i love and optimizing that aspect is really something that i i really love and the ability to 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 also identify the great days i think it's what really makes them the x contest uh final uh, overall scoring good mm. to always be be on the right spot is, is something uh, that's that's for sure uh, just key and like we we said before you know with the mental training and having those the the wish that i am able to fly two hours two consecutive days flying uh, 10 or 11 hours it's just something some some core desire from me to really fly the, the longest possible. I really want to be the last one to land. And mm -hmm. if I'm fast enough, be the first one to take off. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that stretch the day. <laughs> yep. Really to, 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 to squeeze out every minute. And then as a result, you typically get long distances. Alex, what, what is it about engineers that make, I've asked this question before and you've listened to the podcast, you've heard me <laughs> ask, ask this, but I consistently f run into engineers who are pilots uh, and they, they, they tend to be really good pilots. What is it about your profession that is such a good mix with paragliding? I think engineers are just some, some kind of always interested interested in things in, a, in an analytical way and they are used to to getting the questions why is that or how far can i go or, or what can i do all these things uh, are typically for an engineer because you are confronted with these types of challenges uh, all the time so you have a problem and it's up to you to solve it and that's actually what you do uh, when you when you fly cross ground you know you have the conditions you cannot see anything you can't just guess all the time you sometimes get yourself into nasty places. Nobody is there to help you out. It's totally up to you. And engineers are typically rather used to that, that they can do it on their own. When you are used to working teams and people or maybe in social stuff, you can share the responsibility or you can delegate something to, to, to anybody. But you actually on a, on a flight, you cannot do that. It's just always you. You alone, you have to do everything. You are responsible for everything. So this is why uh, when you're totally used to it and it's second nature for you, it's much easier for you uh, to become a good cross-country flyer. Hmm. Alex, you said that you know maybe 60% of your success you put down to all the time you've spent on learning these weather models and being able to identify the best days that also reduces a lot of your risk, which is, reduces a lot of your anxiety in the air. And, you know, you're flying these really, you know, we call them hammer tog days. Uh, but how much would you put on, you know, just the motivation of X contest, whether that's either to win it or to, as you've done twice, which is amazing, 
or to just, you know, push in the 300 FAI envelope and beyond? And how much would you put to local knowledge? You know, that your your time is limited to you to kind of this area of Austria and the Tyrol and Sud Tyrol, uh, you know, like really, you know, you said you'd flown the Grint at Antholz, what, 17 or 18 times, you know, to like really getting mm-hmm. to know a place. Yep. So it's, I would say it's even 50-50. Okay. Um, of course, to, to see what's possible, what, what others have really accomplished is, is really, really inspiring for me. And so I want to see how they, how they do it. Uh, what do they do? So the whole uh, learning aspect, and especially the resource effects count, is just the best thing I think that happened to, to the sport at all. And then, of course, uh, like I told you before, um, I make my write-ups, I make my blog entries and all these things. So really learning uh, from that, um, uh, from your own experiences, and you can compare what others have done. And you, when you merge those two areas of knowledge, uh, that then really helps then that efficiency can kick in. Because the first time when you maybe are flying with uh, locally unexperienced people too, you are just not efficient. You, you you take maybe a climb because you just don't know that the big bummer is out there mm. to, to climb there. You are just not as efficient. Mm, of course. Yeah, so of course. This is also one of the one of the very simple goals I have each year, just to fly better than the year before. And this is actually what, what made me then uh, also coming out on top of the X contest. It was just a natural uh, evolution. We're just trying to, to make less mistakes than the last time and make from maybe 80, per, 80 mistakes, just 70 anymore and coming down to making at least not the same mistakes again. And then somehow it narrows down. And this is why I also was giving you those advices because those are the typical beginner advices when you're fresh to the, to the Grante Triangle. It's a very easy triangle, but you have uh, two to three maybe nasty places. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you know these, hey, you would just have a great flight. Mm. And uh, this is just really that what makes the really big distances. Like we have seen in the Zillatar, we just did not know that then the, the last leg on the main Alpine Ridge would be sad, so easy. Uh, we thought, wow, it's really, maybe pretty nasty. But then in the aftermath, we found out, hey, man, we could have easily done the turn point down uh, on the main Alpine Ridge and would have served the skies still at home and would have had on the first time there uh, a 270 closed FA triangle. But you just don't know this the first time. And just because other people, you also see the guys who have flown it there, even Walter Tom, uh, who's a very excellent pilot. Uh, he does not fly 300 uh, kilometers there when he's there the first time. Sure. You have to work it out for yourself. You can make great uh, preparation there. But still, it's just up to you to read it and do it and repeat it and analyze it. And then you get better and better and push the mark out 5% more if the days allows, of course, uh, each time. And that makes it actually even more fun because you, you can go uh, maybe lower because, you know, it still works and don't have to waste your, your time there. And all this uh, you get just from flying it again and again. Alex, you, you mentioned risk management is a big part of your own approach to paragliding. And I also understand this is a big part of your talks. Tell me about risk management. Um, the risk management is, is 
really maybe the, the core part of, of the, the talks I give, uh, because we know all the area, and we, even I have it still, there are some areas where I, I get a little bit scared, uh, where I'm really nervous about conditions, can I handle them? And behind of it all is most of the times it's just a, kind of an uncertainty, uh, I would call it. You know, uh, maybe it's a new terrain I fly in, um, or it is a new wind uh, situation. Everything is not so not so easy uh, to handle anymore. And this is where I want to give everybody the advice: Hey, take yourself some some systematic. I mean, at least that's that's my key how how I approach it. So. Uh, how do I how do I get uh, rid of of that fear? I have a very very simple approach uh, that uh, I I always keep uh, the beauty in mind. You know the beauty of the moments. Hey, what what I do there that really helps me to 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 reduce uh, the the level of stress that I have. And uh, second very important thing is just maybe conditions really turn bad and I overlooked something in the forecast. So it's very important. To really fight, focus, uh, figure out, um, is it just a shitty area I'm currently in or is the day turning bad? Because if it's a shitty area, I can say, hey, okay, this is just happening for a limited amount of time. I will work myself out. It's nasty, but I, I can do it. So uh, that really that you don't uh, say, hey, okay, I throw my nerves and I get to land. So you really have to assess the situation you're currently in. Is it? going to be everywhere like this or is it ahead is it better looking mm. and what also helps to, to reduce uh, stress is maybe some to 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 connect yourself uh via radio with with like-minded friends you don't want to have those those kind of uh yeah you call it in your blogs always the ground suck crowd mm. uh, I, I love that 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 name for it to really say hey how how do you feel uh what what is your thermal uh, and to really uh, surround yourself also on the radio because maybe it is just you that does not feel well and that also can can help you to overcome these these bad kind of of feelings uh, so what I then typically do when I have a lot of stress I, I, I reduce my speed a little bit okay so I back off the bar a little bit and you have to really uh, try to dissect uh, the fear that you have, is it really because of risk you're currently facing or is it just some, some mental thing that, uh, that you don't just feel capable of to handle right now? Because then again, uh, I can when I find out that it's just fear I have, I have some, some breathing technique that works for me pretty well. So it takes really some just deep breath and that really gets my, 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 my headspace really down to, to the facts. Uh, that really there is okay there is no risk I am high okay thermals are disorganized it is thermal end but actually there is no risk because I have a 1,500 meter ground clearance mm. and maybe ahead it's it's gonna be uh, gonna be better again I, re um, I really like Nick Nanans he has a he has a good one for this he always thinks to himself you know what would this look like from the ground <laughs> You know, like if you're if you're just on the ground Perfect. and you look up and there's a glider <laughs> 1500 meters over, it doesn't look that radical. You know, <laughs> even yep. if even if you're doing acro, it doesn't look that radical. And then the other one is, you know, just you know, imagine what it's like with your vario off. You know, if you or just turn it off for a little bit, and suddenly things don't things yeah. don't sound that wound up when your vario is not screeching at you. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, ah, oh, 
It's not that bad. <laughs> yeah. Actually, yeah, perfect. I, I totally second that. And for the for the risk management, actually, it's it's always important to to not get your your mind uh, get control over your your feelings because uh, you have to always. Uh, what I give always in the speeches in big detail is is the Swiss cheese model. You know that you really there has to happen really a lot in our sport in order that that something goes wrong. You have the the wind and weather aspects. You have your material aspects, you have your abilities, and you have your mental uh, current state of mind. And if even if that all does not really work out, you you still have luck, you know. <laughs> so it, it's always a lot of things that really have to happen that you have really a, a problem, and that usually helps to 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 reduce uh, the risk to what it is. Mm. Love it, love it, Alex. Do you ever? Um with your kind of analytical engineering mind and all the preparation you do and the the studying and post analysis of the flights you sound like you're always ready if you if you found that when you show up at a site you know you just that's a day you don't have it never never uh not not a single time i can remember maybe i forced my brain to 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 hide that out somehow, but actually never. Because uh, as I said, it is always the most important thing to go flying on a nice day. Yeah. Then you you know, don't have those frustrating moments. If you go rarely flying like me, maybe once or twice a month throughout the season, that is actually anyway just four and or five months for me, um, when you just go flying on nice days, you don't have those frustrating moments because conditions are always nice and the level of skill I have is then totally sufficient for the day. So what could make that day bad? It could just be minor or short term things. Mm. And just knowing that then really totally never gets me into that kind of headspace where I talk myself down or uh, I see myself forced to land. It is always when I when I'm forced to land, it's always because I misjudged uh, some some situation uh, where no thermals were anymore. But uh, I did not give up because of anxiety or being scared or something like this. Never, ever. I think that's super critical, man. I think that's one of the greatest things you've said. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, I, Chris, Go flying on nice days. It's yeah. simple. It's a simple recipe. <laughs> mm. no, that, I, th- I think that's so smart. And then there's... Like you said, there's no reason to be scared then. There's also no reason to have an accident then. You're flying in good weather. Correct. Mm. And it's always wind. Always. You know, you even if, if its thermals are weak or whatever, maybe strong, uh, it is most of it, it's always the wind. And you, as long as you have that in mind, uh, you're always on the safe side. I'm totally convinced of that. And I'm a living proof. I have never ever hurt myself in paragliding. I was sitting on trees two times already. <laughs> Who but has? I, Come I on. never got got hurt. <laughs> there, there are those Actually, that have and those that will. A, <laughs> it was one time with a tandem, Kevin. <laughs> I was making my tandem tandem certificate, and it was just uh, amazing. It was one of my my last flights I did with another paragliding pilot to get my tandem license, and we were flying there. And it was was a spot in uh, in the the Western Austrian in Vorarlberg in Schneefis, where typically in the afternoon hours, the kicks in the northerly wind. 
And we were flying there, we were thermaling, and out of nothing, I lost the whole tandem wing, 100 meters, <laughs> luckily uh, above uh, a tree line. Uh, but then just shortly after, we were sitting on that very tree <laughs> and hugging, hugging uh, the, the tree branches uh, not to, to fall down. And we, we looked at each other and said, hey, man, <laughs> how could that happen? <laughs> luckily, completely uninjured, but, you know, it's always a little bit bad thing to Last question. I'm, I'm tempted to end it on that, but we we touched on this before we before we opened the show when we were just chatting, and I wanted to ask you because you you've been at this game quite a long time. What's the number one thing you see that leads people to getting hurt? You know, we we've both seen way too many accidents. We talked about it a little bit, and and you know, if you could remove something, what would it be? Listen to the type of person you are. Um, if you are maybe a little bit scared person or a person who wants to, to give away responsibility, you have to acknowledge that. And not because you are in, in a team of people or some environment of you, a social environment of you, is expecting something of you. Uh, if it's not you, uh, then don't do it that way. There are so many ways you can enjoy flying. But if it's not, not really in, in your blood and you just do it for, for somebody else or maybe some for recognition, uh, there is a really a risk, that a life-threatening uh, risk, that you really put yourself out in danger. If you really feel comfortable and you enjoy it, everything, you will be a good and, and safe pilot. Hmm. Good advice. I haven't heard that one yet. We're... We're uh, what episode ninety eight here. That that gets to go in the book, Alex. Uh, <laughs> fantastic, Alex. Uh, this just really makes me want to fly with you more, man. <laughs> I just can't. just be around. Yes, like you did. Yes, yes, yes. No, well, I've I've got a few more weeks. So hopefully, we'll get some more banger days here. I will make myself available, of course. Uh, that was just a hoot, a blast. It was very special to be able to fly that special triangle with you guys it really made me miss my evox though i'll tell you that uh, i mean I, I, I would have liked my uh my fast glider but yeah this was uh really really special to talk to you and i feel like it's a great education for me and of course everybody else so thank you thank you for your time uh thanks for sharing all your knowledge i we will put up all that uh, great information you have on your blog and on all the weather sites in the show notes. And I really encourage all of you listening to go check out what Alex has done. Uh, there's a terrific compendium of uh, incredible resource there. So check it out. But thanks, Alex. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Kevin. If you find the cloud-based mayhem valuable, you can support it in a lot of different ways. You can give us a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or however you get your podcast. That goes a long ways and helps spread the word. You can blog about it on your own website or share it on social media. You can talk about it on the way up to launch with your pilot friends. I know a lot of interesting conversations have happened that way. And of course, you can support us financially. This show does take a lot of time, a lot of editing. A lot of storage and music and all kinds of behind-the-scenes cost. So if you can support us financially, all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. And you can do that through a one-time donation through PayPal, or you can set up a subscription service that charges you for each show that comes out. We put a new show out every two weeks, so 
for example, if you did a buck a show and every two weeks, it'd be about $25 a year. So way cheaper than a magazine subscription, and it makes all of this possible. Uh, I do not want to fund this show with advertising or sponsors. We get asked about that uh, pretty frequently, but I, for a whole bunch of different reasons, which I've said many times on the show, I don't want to do that. I don't like having that stuff at the front of the show. And I also want you to know that these are authentic conversations with real people and these are just our opinions, but our opinions are not being skewed by sponsors or advertising dollars. I think that's a pretty toxic business model. So I hope you dig that. Um, you can support us. If you go to cloudbasedmayhem.com, you can find the places to support. You can do it through patreon.com forward slash cloudbasedmayhem. If you want a recurring subscription, you can also do that directly through the website. Uh, we've tried to make it really easy, and that will give you access to all the bonus material, a little video cast that we do and extra little uh, nuggets that we find in conversations that don't make it into the main show, but we feel like you should hear. We don't put any of that behind a paywall. If you can't afford to support us, then just let me know and I'll set you up with an account. Of course, that'll be lifetime and hopefully and you're being in a position someday to be able to support us. But you'll find all that on the website. Uh, all of you who have supported us or even joined our newsletter or bought cloud-based mayhem merchandise t-shirts or hats or anything you should be all set up you should have an account and you should be able to access all that bonus material now thank you so much for listening i really appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next show thank you 